The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Move through blocks and fulfill your passion and purpose. This is Stop Stopping Yourself with your host, Vincent Jenna. Welcome, and yes, this is your host, Vincent Jenna, and you are listening to Stop Stopping Yourself on Unity Radio. And I just love that woman who does my intro. I wish she can follow me around wherever I go to do my events and just do that intro. She's so energetic and exciting and beautiful voice. And I just love that, right? I love these intros. And I love Unity Online Radio. People, you are, uh, you have no idea, or maybe you do know how blessed you are in today's age with the amount of information that is coming to you and presented to you. I mean, there was a time that the library uh, was the only source of information or reading newspapers and books and journals, right? And there wasn't the internet, and there certainly weren't radio shows as Unity Online Radio. Um, and uh, I, I want to give a, a, a great applause to everybody who is involved in, in creating this incredible channel, um, including um, one of our very own hosts. I mean, that, that is absolutely amazing. Um, that's on, let's see, when is she on? She's on just at... A couple of of shows times right after me, um, yeah, Diane, Diane Ray Pascal. I mean, Diane, the Diane Ray show is amazing. So you want to make, make sure you listen to her. She's the one who helped create uh, Unity Online Radio to the level that it is right now, and definitely Doctor Dream. Dr. Dream, Kelly Walden Sullivan, you know, your dreams, we're trying to communicate um, verbally here on a conscious level, right? By listening to this radio show, you get to hear all these, this information. But on an unconscious level, your soul and your spirits and your guides and God and ascendant masters and angels, everybody else on the other side in the other dimensions, they're trying to communicate with you as well. And so knowing what your dreams mean is so vital, so important. So you definitely want to take um, 
a time and listen or at least download Kelly Walden Sullivan, Dr. Dream's uh, interpretations because they certainly would have meaning. But call in. Don't let a dream go by that you don't understand. And they're pretty intense and detailed. And it takes an expert to be able to help you with that. And certainly... I'd been doing that for a long time myself, dream interpretation, uh, because as I shared with many of you, Joseph from Canaan was my higher guide uh, who helped me from the very beginning and the onset of my spiritual awakening. But Kelly really just focuses on that, you know, and um, that's why it's so important to talk with her. So um, yeah, we're going to get to today's show. Uh, it's about the meaning of words and the meaning of passages and things written where we think it has one meaning, but in actuality, it has another meaning. We're going to get to that shortly. But I want to remind everybody that next week is reading week. So call in for a, a psychic connection and a mediumship or and or a mediumship connection with a deceased loved one have a mini reading next week and you absolutely want to call in early because the phones light up and I go in the order of who is called in to be able to answer questions and of course I can't get to all of you but I'm devoting the entire hour to giving you psychic answers and mediumship connections with deceased loved ones. So be sure to be here next week and to get on the phones early. So we as a species have um, a habit of misinterpreting words or paying attention to words and not their content and context and what they truly mean. Uh, We have so many examples of words being taken out of context to use for our purpose. So many um, examples of paying attention to words alone when we're not paying attention to what they were meant to mean, what's the meaning behind the words that were said. And so we miss so many messages. Even in your own daily lives, somebody may say something to you and you misinterpret it. And then the person has to explain themselves. And you can get even into an argument because you misinterpret what a person has said. Um, and, and a prime example of that is ever since email and text, all you hear people saying is, oh, I don't like sending emails to people. I'd rather call them because they have a chance of misinterpreting um, what I'm saying in the email. And I, I don't want to say anything the wrong way. I mean, that is right there, a prime example of how we misinterpret. So if you think of something like a text and like an email, right, where you remove the emotion and you're only reading the words, okay, you can absolutely misinterpret a joke, um, something comical that was said, uh, or an entire line and meaning of what the person was trying to say to you. And the person writing, when you're writing a text and a message, you could be writing it in the way that your mind is saying it's saying one thing, but it comes out completely wrong on paper, We've had that happen. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. That's not what my intention was. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. And 
Um, we do that just communicating verbally with each other, um, not just through the written word, right? That happens all the time. Why does that happen? Because everything gets filtered through who you are, what's going on in your life, and what's in your unconscious mind. It's a filtration system we have, all of your experiences, okay? So, for example, um, and, and this is a common example, right? Um, people who have experienced divorce, okay? And now they're out there dating again. And uh, the person that you're with winds up saying something that's very similar or almost sounds like something from your ex-partner. And right away, red flags go up, the hair goes up on the back of your neck, and you're judging this person, not because of who he or she is standing right in front of you, but because of what he or she reminded you of, because your filtration system took those words and misinterpreted them, all right? And so a lot of times you'll hear things and you'll flavor it and uh, interpret it based on your own conveniences, what you like, what you don't like, and again, those negative things inside of you. And, and I've got a perfect example of that. I've got a perfect example of that. Uh, that I said that I was going to interpret for you. Uh, there was a song written by Leonard Cohen back in 1984 that actually was not popular at that time. The song is called Hallelujah, okay? And Leonard Cohen is the original composer of the words and the music. And he recorded it. And so, it, I mean, it was there, just like so many other songs that are there. But 10 years later, he changed many of the lyrics, actually, and re-recorded it, and all of a sudden it became very popular. Then it was recorded by Jeff Buckley. Then it was recorded by Rufus Wainwright. And then it was also recorded by K.D. Lang. Um, and the recording of K.D. Lang was actually played uh, during the Olympics, I want to say, during, uh, oh, was it the Olympics? I don't, I, I don't think it was the halftime at the Super Bowl. Maybe it was. No, it was. It was. I believe it was during the Olympics and stuff. And, and that became famous. And so there's all different versions of it. But it's the original version that really matters um, that became so popular. And now the song Hallelujah, I hear on the radio all the time because people love listening to it. I've heard it at weddings. Um, I've heard it at funerals. I've heard it at all different celebrations, retirement. It doesn't matter. People are playing the song Hallelujah left and right all over the place. And not one of you has truly listened to the words of the song and the meaning of the song. And here's the interesting part about the composer and why he wrote it the way he did. The word hallelujah means praise to God, okay? Glory to God. 
Okay, hallelujah. It's a beautiful word. We hear it in hymns. Um, there is a very uh, popular uh, Messiah, the Messiah that was written, um, a, a whole thing based on the book of Matthew, actually, right? And the hallelujah chorus is a very famous chorus that comes from that. So, of course, everybody automatically assumes that um, any song with the word hallelujah in it has got to be a beautiful song. Now, couple that with the fact that Leonard Cohen wrote such a beautiful melody to it, okay? Such an incredible, beautiful melody to go along with the words. So now people are paying attention to the title and the melody. And both the title and the melody are beautiful, It really is beautiful. So I want to play this song, all right? And I want you to listen to the melody and feel it, feel the way it's even sung, and then listen to the words at the same time. And then right at the end of the song, we'll talk about it. So if we can play that song right now, listen and feel the song Hallelujah. Go ahead. Let's see what we've got. Secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. You don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight. Tied you to her kitchen chair. She broke your throne and cut your hair. And from your lips she drew Hallelujah. 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 I've walked the floor, used to live alone before I knew you. 
But I've seen your flag on the marble arch Our love is not a victory march It's a cold and it's a broken Hallelujah 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 God above, but all I've ever learned from love was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. It's not a cry that you hear at night, it's not someone who's seen the light, it's a cold and broken Wow, that is such a beautiful song, but not for the reason that everybody thinks it's beautiful. It's a love song. Ruth Leonard Cohen wrote about different forms of love, and I hope you recognize all of the references to the characters in the Old Testament. It's about biblical characters and the beginning and origins of love but not how love went the way that it should have gone. It's about love and how it went bad and how we now use it against each other rather than for each other. So it does bring a tear to my eye every time I hear it, but not out of celebration out of touching and realization as to what we've done and what we need to do to change it. So let's just go through that right from the get-go, right from the beginning. Now, I've heard there was a secret chord that David, he's referring to King David in the Bible, right? That David played and it pleased the Lord. So in other words, David knew how to say things and do things that were right and please the Lord, but he really didn't. He wasn't as great of a king that everybody wanted to, to, to say he was. 
um, he made some mistakes himself, and he used love and his power at times against the people, okay? And so you really don't care for music, but wait a minute, if he wrote this song, that's why he's the baffled king composing the glory to God, you know? He's the one who's up there creating all of this this, this supposed truth, but he's baffled because love was difficult for him. He had issues of love. Now, of course, one of the reasons why he became the king is because he slayed Goliath. He was this small man, and that king, at the at the time, King Solomon had promised him that if he was to take care of Goliath, he would get a whole bunch of land, he would get the, the woman of his dreams that he wanted, and he would become king after um, Solomon. Well, actually, the prophet is the one who named him as king, not Solomon. And so um, David has an issues with it, okay? Now, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. That's the story of Bathsheba, another love story that went awry because her beauty overthrew, just the same as Delilah's beauty overthrew Samson. And because of Delilah, Delilah was able to cut off Samson's hair, remove his strength. And then, of course, the enemy was able to battle. It was the enemy that sent Delilah in to weaken Samson because he was so powerful and strong. No, no force can beat him. No army could beat him and his army. And so they sent in Delilah and love overthrew. Oh, but wait, but wait. As they were always being overthrown, what did they shout out? Always. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God basically helped me. Always that cry out, right? Then he comes down to, baby, I've been here before. I know this room. I've walked the floor. So that's basically the concept of Jesus. Jesus has been down here. I know all you people. I was walking the floor. Now with the assumption that Jesus is also God, he says, I used to live alone before I knew you. I used to live alone. In other words, God existed without us before he created us. Okay? And and so then after I create you, now I see your your flag on the marble arch. And that's so funny. There's arches all over the world. There's even one in New York um, that looks like the one in Paris. And, and an arch always represents a victory of power, strength, a winning of a battle. Um, and that's why they call it a victory arch. But he says, yeah, but it's a cold and broken. Now you're shouting out hallelujah again to me. Why? Because you think I had something to do. God had something to do with you winning this battle. Like I really want you guys to fight out there. And so he's, he's referring to that. It's a cold and broken hallelujah when that's the way that you share your love with me, that you glorify me, right? And then, um, and maybe I've been there before, um, but all I've learned from love um, is is how somebody outdrew you. It, that's, again, a killing, a shooting, is, is that love always started battles and wars since the beginning of time. Um, Helen of Troy, the famous stories that started because of love. Helen was kidnapped uh, by Alexander, Alexander the Great, right, um, uh, from... Uh, Achilles? Oh, I forgot who it was. No, it wasn't Achilles. I forgot who the leader was that um, that he kidnapped her from, and that started the battle and the downfall of of the Greeks. Okay, the ancient Greeks, um, and and 
story after story after story. So this is not a song you want to be playing at your wedding about love, because what it's talking about is how love goes wrong. And certainly when you're marrying somebody, you don't want to be playing a theme song about love going bad. You want to be playing a song about love going good. So we need to pay attention, people. We need to really look at the depth of what somebody is trying to say, not just what you want to interpret from it. Now, here is the funny thing about this song. Because the melody is so beautiful, and if you think about it, the word is beautiful, hallelujah, the melody is beautiful. Why, why did he do that? Why did he write a song that sounds so beautiful but is saying something so sad and hypocritical? It's because the word love, the word hallelujah can sound so beautiful but can be used for absolutely the most evil of reasons. Okay, and that's as a species what we're capable of. We're capable to think of those words in the Bible that have been used against people, against women that said they're supposed to be suppressed, against gays and and same sex marriages, um, against anybody who that conveniently we pull those words out of the Bible and. Some of them can be very beautiful, loving words, and that still can be used against. For example, one of the reasons why Christians believe that same-sex marriage is an abomination is because Jesus said that when that God shall marry a man and a woman and let no other man put that marriage asunder. Okay, so they'll take that paragraph. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? That once God marries somebody, that okay, that you can't, no person can put that asunder. You can't, nothing's going to break that apart. That's beautiful. So what did they want to use that against? Divorce. But nobody paid attention to the paragraph before Jesus saying that. When a man asked Jesus, when a man and a woman get married, can anybody interfere in that and break it apart? That's what Jesus was responding to. No, once God marries somebody, nobody can come walking in there and like a father and claim that the marriage is inappropriate. I don't want my daughter married to this man, so I'm considering them unmarried. That's what Jesus was saying. It had nothing to do with the idea that marriage can only be between a man and a woman. We wanted to interpret those beautiful words that he said for our own purpose. So even in your own, why the, the whole reason why I'm sharing this is, number one, it's important for us to pay attention to context and what's being said in between the lines rather than what the words say themselves. That's number one. And number two, when we need to clear out our own hearing, our own channels of interpretation, our own issues, so that way we can get the true meanings, the spiritual meaning, the, the rightful meaning to what it is. When we come back, I'm going to give you the full meaning of the Lord's Prayer, which is the most important prayer that we can say today. So I'll see you on the other the side of this commercial. Hang tight. This is the Stop Stopping Yourself show, and I am Vincent Jenner, your host.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating Pride Month with the LGBTQ community. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Dr. Wayne Dyer, taken from a live lecture at a Celebrate Your Life event in 2014. Just pay attention. Just start to recognize the miraculousness of every moment and everything that shows up in your life. And even the fact that that you can take a breath and that who you are is here now at this time in an infinity that has no beginning and no end, that you showed up. Pay attention. Notice the trees. Notice the clouds. And as Maslow said, see the unfolding of God in everyone that you encounter. Pay attention. Know that this world that you're in, this physical body that you're in, is not who you are at all. Pay attention. To find out about a Celebrate Your Life event in 2019, visit CelebrateYourLife.com. Unity teaches that all people are created with sacred worth and that no one exists outside the heart of God. The Unity message is free from discrimination, and we believe that love is the strongest power that exists no matter who you choose to love. Always, and especially during this month of Pride, Unity stands with our LGBTQ family as we honor the strength of diversity in our spiritual community. If you'd like more information, visit unity.org LGBTQ. Daily Word has developed beautiful card decks to support your spiritual journey. One deck is about healing, another is about finding peace in troubled times, and the family cards are two decks, one for parents and one that can be colored on for children, so families can talk about spiritual principles together. The card decks are available from Unity. Go to unity.org, then click on Shop or call 1-800-24-UNITY Monday through Friday. Get inspired with Temple Hayes and the Intentional Spirit, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Each week, Temple shares tools and practices to help you thrive in the most challenging times. Temple also welcomes fascinating guests who share their stories and struggles on the spiritual path. Follow Temple on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date with the show. Become an Intentional Spirit with Temple Hayes here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Stop Stopping Yourself with Vincent Jenna. Yes, thank you for joining me today on the Stop Stopping Yourself show. I am your host, Vincent Jenna, and we are talking today about the metaphysical 
a metaphoric meaning of some writings, some very famous writings. And we just went through um, a song, a very popular song written by Leonard Cohen called Hallelujah. You hear it all the time. If you did not hear the translation of that song and what it was all about, um, please download the podcast and listen to it. That was in the, the first half hour of the show. Um, very important that we understand these meanings, okay? Because it keeps us from from using the words then the wrong way. And the person whose words were um, used mostly the wrong way who existed on this planet is Jesus himself. He came down here as a spiritual teacher and a rabbi and said some of the most amazing, beautiful things, um, but somehow, some way, we tended to uh, misinterpret them based on what we were experiencing of the time. Um, and if you really want to understand anything biblically or anything about any religion, study it, okay? Yeah, oh, it's fabulous that they have Bible study with different ministers and priests teaching those things and those experts, but you're actually not going to get an unbiased understanding of any of that unless you take it from a university level. On a university level, they try to, they do an incredible job of, of just putting out there the actual texts and the actual words that were written um, and without interpretation and meaning of them. And they use other texts from other countries and worlds in order to compare, to compare the stories. Um, for example... The entire story of creation and the entire first book of Exodus and Genesis, let's just do Genesis, okay, was actually stories that were already written and being told in Babylonia. You have to remember, before the Bible was written, um, the Hebrews had gone through um, a lot once they obtained Israel. There were still those who battled them and persecuted them. And during one of the falls of Israel, the, the Hebrews were imprisoned. Half of them were imprisoned in Babylonia. The other half were imprisoned in Greece. And so it was during that time that they began to realize that we need to start writing down our history in order to not lose the traditions and the strength of the, of the, the Hebrew faith, right, of the Jewish faith. So they started writing. But some of them were in Greece and some of them were in Babylonia, and in Babylonia, there had already been a history of written text. Writing and, and text um, were created very early in, the, in Babylonia. King Hammurabi was a ruler there who was one of the first known rulers to write, actually write down laws. As a matter of fact, those laws were engraved on a large obelisk that stood in the middle of town so that every citizen, every citizen, if they had any question as to what the laws were, could go to that obelisk and read them. 
Okay. Uh, many of those obelisks were written during that time period. And there was also the story of creation. So the story of Genesis um, and even, you know, going into Exodus, um, there were some other stories of that, but primarily Genesis. And when you compare the texts of Genesis to the texts of Babylonian uh, writings, they're very similar. Okay, so we'd like to think, all right, so the Jewish people, the Hebrews, they, they, this is what really happened, and God spoke to them only, and so they got the original words from the Bible, it came from them, but that is not the truth. So you want to learn it on a, an intellectual level. And so when you do, you also come to understand, we're talking about Jesus now and his words, that in 535 AD, there was a council in the, in, in the town of Nicaea, uh, or Nicaea, um, however you pronounce it, in Italy. And they were in charge of determining what was going to stay in the Bible and be in the Bible that was originally written. Okay, the books were already combined together and they went through them and they decided what they wanted to keep based on their beliefs. And so it was during that time that five books of reincarnation were removed from the Bible, which supposedly uh, are the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are supposed to be the missing books of the Bible. So if you want to know what the rest of the Bible actually said, go read anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're absolutely amazing. And it talks all about um, reincarnation and things like that. But, but at that time, those the council members did not want people to believe that they had another chance because they figured that we would blow it. If if we thought we had another chance, we'd blow this life. We'd become lazy. We wouldn't work hard. All right. Not to mention that they also believed it would take away from the great meaning of Jesus. You know, the idea that Jesus may have been incarnated before, even though they did leave in when he said, I was here before. And John the Baptist was here before. We were prophets here before. They left those parts in, but they figured people wouldn't pay attention to them because it was only one sentence. Okay, and so it then allowed us to use his words of what he said to now deem him the only living carnation of God, incarnation of God in this earthly plane, okay, that that he was God incarnate, which Quite honestly, if you just think of that alone, this omnipotent power, why would it have to come down in a physical form, first of all? Why couldn't it just show, I mean, didn't Moses see a burning bush, supposedly, right? Wasn't that written in the early text before Jesus, that Moses saw a burning bush and that was God, and that God... Uh, then appeared and with his energetic spiritual finger wrote the Ten Commandments for Moses to bring down to the people. So then why all of a sudden, if, if God wanted to impress upon us certain ways that we needed to act and live, why would it he need to or it need to become a physical form in order to impress upon that, not to mention a physical form that gets completely tormented. 
Okay, so because of our sins, it's going to punish itself or punish its only son. None of that ever really makes sense when you come to think of it. But you're told not to question it. You're told to just accept it. And by just accepting it, guess what? You miss out on everything. You miss out on everything Jesus really was saying. For example, person asked on the on the mount, Jesus had another gathering of a whole bunch of people, and somebody asked, Jesus, how do you pray to God? What's the best way of praying to God? But that wasn't all about what they were asking. Jesus was talking about how to know who you are. You know, when he was giving out the Beatitudes, which is another interpretation, metaphysical interpretation that we should really discuss sometime, and maybe I'll do that and talk about the Beatitudes in a future um, show. But we, he was talking about how to be, how to act, and who you are, and who you are. And so somebody asked, how do you pray? And maybe that wasn't exactly the question. Maybe the question was, how do you remember? I know when I'm working with people one-on-one or even in a group, one of the major questions they ask is, how do I believe in myself? How do I really walk the path if I don't believe in who I am, if I don't think I'm special, if I don't believe I'm anything more than the way I was treated when I was a child, that, that I'm nothing but my story, right? How do I believe in more? I get that question all the time. So I can imagine Jesus there who's preaching about love and who you are and how God loves you and all he's going to do for you. I can imagine somebody raising their hand and screaming out saying, how do I do that? How do I believe in myself? And this prayer came out. Okay. And, and one of the most important things we need to remember is when Jesus had given this prayer. He had given this prayer after he already stated that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because it's written both ways, that Jesus said the kingdom of God. In Matthew, he said the kingdom of heaven. In Luke, I believe, he said the kingdom of God is within you. It is not a place. Do not look for it to be a place where you can go to. He specifically says that. I don't have the actual chapter and paragraph, but all you have to do is go Google that and you will read for yourself. Specifically, he says that heaven is not a place. It resides within you. And also the kingdom of God resides within you. Okay, so then that means that every time he starts talking about heaven, after he states that, he's not referring to another time period and another dimension and another place. He's referring to the place within you, within each of us. Then you take his prayer, and from that point, you can give it and and get the metaphoric and metaphysical meaning of it. And here it is. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, I, I did this last week, but I didn't get a chance. I was rushed. I did it at the end of the show. So, so if you heard it last week, then please hang on and listen again, because you can hear it a hundred times and it not be old. So just listen to this because it's so important. 
Our Father which art in heaven, to the God that resides in me that I am, hallowed be thy name. You're sacred. Just the name alone is sacred. And so therefore am I. Thy kingdom come. I exist, therefore here, therefore your kingdom is already here because it's within me. And if I'm here, your kingdom is here. Thy will be done. Let me give in to the highest part of me and let that will be done versus the human will be done. In earth as it is in heaven, in this earthly physical plane, as it resides in my highest dimension and plane within me. So let thy will be done, that which is in my greatest, highest self, be done here in this physical lower self. Give us this day our daily bread. Feed us spiritual wisdom and guidance every day. And forgive us our debts. Let me let go of that which I believe I owe. And forgive our debtors. And let me let go of that which I believe others owe me. Lead us not into temptation. Don't let me get caught up in the things of life I think are more important than this. But deliver us from evil. Don't ever let me be separated from the highest part of me, which is you. For thine is the kingdom. For God is everything, including me, and the glory, which is sacred, and will always be that way. And amen is always the nailing of the truth when we say amen. And so it is. This is the truth. I and my Father are one. I glorify myself. I give over, over to the highest part of me every day. I receive spiritual wisdom and knowledge that feeds me every day. I owe nothing to others or life or myself, and no one owes me anything because I am the creator of my life. And I shall not go astray in this because when I do, that is the only time I will ever experience the concept of evilness, the lack of God in my life. And I can't be any other way because you are everything. I am therefore everything with you since you and I are one. And it'll be that way forever and ever. Now that's a prayer that can remind us who we are on a daily basis. basis. So when people ask me, how do I love myself? How do you love yourself? You need to believe that you're more than what you think. You need to believe that you're this lowly being 
that needs to pray to an almighty God to forgive you, to feed you, to, to find maybe some value in you. You are so much more than that. And that's what Jesus was trying to say and to exemplify by his existence and life. His whole purpose here was to teach us who we were. And yes, the Nicene Council cut off even some of his words. So when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, I and my father are one, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, the rest of his sentence was, and so are you. And when you believe that, and you reconnect with God, spirit, force, the creator of all there is, whatever you particularly want to call it or feel comfortable calling it, when you reconnect with that source, you will be all that you can be. You will realize all that you are, and you will strive for that constantly. Now, Is that the easiest thing to do? No, that's the whole reason why we have to say the Lord's Prayer every single day of our lives. And what's interesting about that, what's interesting about that is there are Jewish people that will say the Lord's Prayer, even though Jesus is the one who wrote it, right? Because Jesus was Jewish. That is nothing. There is not one thing in there. Not one word in there that says, believe in who I am, Jesus, and that's going to get you to your place of glory. Doesn't say that. Believe that I am better than you. Believe that I came down here to save you of your sins. No, no. But but if you really want to, to then hear the context of what he was saying, well, listen, you guys went astray over here like you can't believe. You know, so you've got all of this nonsense going on left and right. So somebody had to come down to save you from yourselves. Ah, so he came down to give an example to save us from ourselves. Not from our sins, but from ourselves. Doesn't that have a different connotation? I mean, each one of you out there today that are trying to help and wanting to help others, Aren't you helping them heal from themselves? Remember the, the law of, of attraction and manifesting is that each person is going through that which he or she has manifested for himself or herself. <coughs> Excuse me, right? And so you're trying to help them too. So you're just being like, Jesus, I'm trying to help you heal from yourself, from what you created for yourself. I'm trying to help people unblock with this show that which they blocked themselves. So aren't we then all like Jesus that we're coming down to help, that we're here to help them? Boy, man, don't we need that out in the world today? Look at all of that. But that's who we are. We're these magnificent beings. But of course, we have to say a prayer like that to remind us that we are these magnificent beings because of all the nonsense that goes on. I'm teaching an intense class, a psychic mediumship class class right now, a telecourse um, from all of all my old students that had come to some of my other classes. And, and one of the things that, um, uh, you know, some of the class members will say is, well, 
Well, it's hard for me getting back into my psychic and mediumship mindset um, after I've been at work all day, you know, and with the stress and the garbage that's going on at work all day. And and the first thing I said to them is, well, why are you leaving your psychic and mediumshipness behind you while you're at work? Isn't it a part of who you are already? Isn't it a part of your spiritualness and your soul? So therefore, what you're telling me is when you go to work, you leave your soul at home. And that's just not true. But yet we'll go to work totally disconnected from source and spirit and and our greatest part of who we are that we're supposedly not being, we're not able to really disconnect. So you're just putting up a wall and shutting down that which is the greatest in you. And so you're using your most limited part to get through some of the things of life that you have to go through. I mean, work, we spend more time at work than we do um, anything else we do in our lives. And yet we want to spend that time disconnected from who we are, or would we rather use the light of who we are now? And here's the other thing. Um, It's time everybody prepare because I'm about ready to get up on my soapbox for the last couple of minutes. There are only certain things that raise my frustration level and anger, okay? So here's some table tossing. That's what I call it. What Jesus did in the temples, and he got angry with the way people were misusing a sacred place, right? So I'm going to get angry with people who are misusing their divine gifts. And I'm talking to the practitioners who on one hand preach about angels and Jesus and um, God and everything spiritual, and they are even angel messengers or psychics or mediums or better yet, healers, right? And they're going around looking really pretty and saying beautiful things. And oh my gosh, if you see them at an expo, their booth is filled with statues of angels and these beautiful iconic pictures. And they're playing beautiful spa and and, and meditation music in the background. And they have a beautiful sign up, right? Oh my gosh. And when they're dressed so, so gently and warmly and they're so inviting and they're loving you and they're coming out and hugging you. Maybe some aren't as demonstrative as that. Maybe some are a little bit quieter, but they're doing the same thing and they're going to give you an angel reading or they're going to give you a psychic reading or they're going to do a healing, right? And they sound all fabulous and wonderful and you go there and maybe you're excited and maybe you receive some of that, Right. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I believe. Oh, my gosh, you did so great. You helped me. Oh, you're such a good psychic. You're such a good medium. But you never were was able to find out that within the heart of some of these people, these practitioners is hatred, negativity, unaccepting, prejudice. Anything that you want to say, sexist, any of those negative traits, supporting everything that's evil in our world and our country, right? And yet, 
They want to be the spiritual healers. Well, there were plenty of them. And they dated all the way back, even in the time of Jesus. King Herod was the king of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who were the rulers of the temples back then. Okay, all of these wonderful people who supposedly um, were all God-driven and God-inspired and God-motivated. But their heart of hearts came from nothing but the negative and the opposite of God and the antichrist. And Christ means man with God, humankind with God and connected. So therefore, the antichrist means humankind disconnected. And that's where they stem from. And, and here is what happens. Why is that matter if their words are so good? Well, Jesus said it again. He said, there will be those who look beautiful, who carry a gorgeous cloak. In other words, they cover themselves and adorn themselves in in holiness. And they speak the right words, say the right words, right? They speak the words from God, from love. But because of all their anger and hatred in their heart, their words fall by the wayside and are meaningless. So even if you think you're helped by them, you will lose that help. So, so many people out there in the world has received help, but from the wrong people. And therefore, it's not the words or the meaning of the words that mattered. It's also from the deliverer of those words. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to the meanings. Read between the lines, people, but heal your issues to be able to do that, and you will get the greatest meanings of some of the greatest words in the world. Thank you for joining me today on the Stop Stopping Yourself show. Next week, call in for a reading and and be here and receive enlightenment and maybe some words of wisdom and words from a loved one. I'm your host, Vincent Jenna. Thank you again for joining Joining me and have an incredible week and God bless all of you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on The Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, Don't take your dreams lying down.